Recorded live. Welcome to the first debut of the new Seattle Sports Talk Radio. I am your host, Mike. I am joined by two very special guests. I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Chase Davey, who is a brand spanking new to this whole thing. And we have a very special guest as well on the show. We have former Seattle Mariners pitcher Ryan Roland-Smith. Ryan, Chase, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Chase, how are we doing tonight, first off? I'm doing, you know what, the Seahawks lost. I'm still doing pretty good, though. I'm enjoying the night. Uh, definitely. And uh, Ryan, again, how how are we doing tonight? Uh, uh, I see you're calling in from Arizona, man. How's that? Well, I'm I'm actually calling in from LA. I'm uh, probably having a better night than you guys, but uh, yeah, no, no, I know it didn't work out too well tonight. But hopefully, we can have a good chat. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead and rub that in, Ryan. Uh, let's and before we actually start the show, let's go ahead and give everybody who uh, does not really quite remember Ryan. Of course, uh, first off. Possibly one of the best, uh, possibly one of the better ball players to come out of the country of Australia. Uh, Ryan Roland Smith spent four seasons with the Seattle Mariners from 2007 up to 2010. Uh, I will say this: he was one of our better pitchers. Uh, only off season, only off year was uh, 2010. Uh, kind of bad breaks in that season, but nonetheless, uh, Ryan, I definitely have to say you are one of my favorite uh, ball players to ever come out of the country of Australia, though. Uh, thanks a lot, buddy. I appreciate it. I, I love my time in Seattle, and uh, you know, yeah, like you mentioned, 2010. I can. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. It was a tough year for me and tough year for the team. It kind of you know derailed my time in Seattle. But uh, besides that, I got nothing but good things to say about that place. I love it up there. And definitely, and uh, we, um, you know, we saw that you were actually uh, here a couple times, and uh, you were doing a couple things with the with Root Sports, and uh, you know. I still think I consider you, Ryan, uh, one of the few, uh, one of the few fan favorites here in Seattle. I mean, a lot of people just. I know. I know. You've had so many players, like of course Raul Abanez, Ken Griffey Jr., all those fan favorites. But of course, we don't really remember guys like you. Sometimes, sometimes a lot of people don't remember guys like you. But you know, it's the. It's it's players like you that I do love to remember, and you know it's. It's it's always great to have you have guys like you on the show. I appreciate you. I mean, look, man, I came from a place where baseball's not definitely not the number one sport. So I, I try to make the most of you know my time playing in the major leagues, and a, a, half of that, half of the fun for me was just interacting with fans and doing as much off the field as, as I could. And that's definitely something I'd like to pursue. You know, once I'm uh, once I'm done playing, whenever that whenever that may be, and, and that's what I was doing back up in Seattle in September was. Uh, 
just kind of digging my feet and getting re-engaging with the fans a little bit and having a bit of fun, and hopefully I can do a bit of broadcasting once I'm, once I'm finished. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, we are uh, definitely always happy to have you on, on this show. Uh, we hope to have you on here, you know, numerous times. But, uh, Ryan, Chase, first off, we're going to have uh, – let's go ahead and tell everybody what's going to go happen tonight. We are going to start the show off with, of course, uh, Mariners Talk with Ryan – and then uh, once that's done, we're gonna get, we're gonna let Ryan go because I know it's uh, very late. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very, uh, and definitely got to give Ryan some credit for coming on this late at night. But uh, we're gonna talk some Mariners, of course. We got to we got to definitely talk about that. We'll talk for a little bit. He'll get going. Then uh, me and Chase, we're gonna cover a little bit about the Sounders, Thunderbirds, and of course we're gonna go ahead and get into uh, uh, maybe some NHL hockey as well. We'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, of course we'll get the Seahawks post game. And uh, that will be our show. But, Ryan, let's go ahead and talk Mariners first off. Uh, first off, Jerry Depoto, i got to say, he's, I, I'm loving some of the moves that he's making. Uh, first off, bringing Franklin Gutierrez back with a one-year deal. Franklin Gutierrez, possibly one of the biggest fan favorites here in Seattle. I want to mm-hmm. get your take on this. I mean, let's go, let's go ahead and talk about Goody. I mean, just what he did last year for the Mariners, it was incredible. Uh First off, I think he did get snubbed at the uh, Comeback Player of the Year award, uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, he d- he did have he had one of the be- he had one of the better moments of the season. Let's go. Let me go ahead and uh, uh, let's go ahead and uh, let me go ahead and pull that clip up against the Toronto Blue Jays. And um, if I can find the clip, let me just go ahead and look for it. Uh, this was by far, I think, the. Uh, Basically, I, I just love the fact that uh, Goody was was actually a part of this. Let me go ahead and find the right clip. And uh, okay, here we go. I just found the right clip. Let me go ahead and get the. Um, yeah, I'm getting them all of this from YouTube. But uh, all the all the highlights here are brought to you by MLB. Are uh, they are you know all them? I don't take any credit for it, but we do uh, have to give credit to them and along with the Seattle Mariners, Andrew Sports. So. Ryan, here's perhaps the possibly the the shining moment of the Seattle Mariners uh, 2015 uh, season right here. Franklin Gutierrez's uh, first career walk-off home run, and Ryan, again, talk Goody and what this guy just brings to the team. Yeah, I got to play with Goody a couple of years, you know, 2009, 2010. I know I had a lot of those, uh, you know, health issues. You know, he had that stomach issue and, and a few, um, you know, like fatigue problems and things like that. But uh, first of all, very well announced by Dave Sims that clip. I've, I've watched that clip a couple times, um, but. Um, yeah, you mentioned, you know, Jerry Depoto, first of all, and we'll get to him in a second, but just, you know, just to see um, a guy like Goody, um, you know, straight off the bat uh, be rewarded that way because he he's a, a good clubhouse guy. He had a lot of issues health-wise. Then then they give him a chance. They, they take bring him to AAA. He was tearing it up down at Tacoma. Finally give him a chance. Finally reward him, bring him up. And uh, it's good to see guys like that, and that's where I give... Uh, Jerry Depoto, a few you know gold stars is the fact that he can you know reward a guy like that and bring him back, understanding what a guy like that means to a clubhouse. Because 
you know, like I said, man, he's a great guy. So to, to see him do that, you mentioned the comeback player of the year. Maybe he didn't have the at-bats quite uh, or, the, or the length of time throughout the season to be up for that award, but definitely um, a great story. And, you know, you need more of that kind of character uh, going into 2016, um, you know, especially when you talk about Jerry Depoto constructing this lineup. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I know we're not going to see Franklin Gutierrez in the lineup every day this upcoming year. We'll possibly see him maybe four or three out of the day, days of the week to his health. But, you know, we're, we're going to possibly see, you know, Seth Smith and them uh, definitely, you know, splitting the time. Uh, Chase, your, your take on Franklin Gutierrez getting signed to uh, an extra year here in Seattle, staying here for one more year, and, you know, and what he brings to this team. You know, I, I love Franklin Gutierrez. He he definitely brings uh, a lot to the team. He's a great defensive player. You know, he's got the gold glove, and he's he's just now coming around as a as an offensive piece. So I I really love the signing, and I I love that he's been able to stay healthy the past uh, this past season, which has been a, a big deal in his in his past. So you know, the fact that he's been able to stay healthy and has come around as an offensive piece, I, re- I really do like the the signing here. Yeah, I definitely like it too. I mean, let's go ahead and look at what Franklin Gutierrez did last year. Let me go ahead and pull this up. But I mean, Franklin Gutierrez just completely as soon as he came up from you know Tacoma. First off, um, I was like, okay, we're, Franklin Gutierrez gets called for the World Series. Um, only that didn't happen, but 59 games. 15 home runs, 35 uh, RBIs, 229 batting average, which was a career high for Franklin Gutierrez. And he had a uh, 620 slugging percentage, uh, 974 OPS, both slugging and OPS career highs. Um, Did not strike out that much. He did not strike out that much. He only struck out 54 times. I mean, I I get that he is going to – players are going to strike out, but that's a good strikeout ratio. I had no problem with that. But – Goody just brought back, you know, death to flying things. And, and again, like you mentioned, his health was a serious issue. And I really felt bad for Goody, you know, being two years out of baseball. And, you know, it, the first two years in Seattle, I mean, he just was amazing. I mean, the second year he kind of had a slump. But, you know, the first year that he comes in, you know, he, go, he hits 18 home runs, 70 RBIs, 283 average, all of those career highs. And, but now he comes up this year as a pinch hitter. He hits a uh, a go-ahead grand slam against the Tigers, which was the big possibly play of the year, first off. And then, of course, a couple of days later, he hits a walk-off home run, and that's the play of the year, in my opinion, for the Mariners. But, you know, he, he's, still, he's still young. I mean, he's, yes, he's 33 years old coming into this season, but, you know, he still has what it takes to play in this still has what it takes to play in the outfield and still has what it takes to be possibly even the leader in the in the uh in the dugout. I mean, Ryan, what's your take on Franklin and him possibly being, you know, one of those guys in the in the clubhouse that is a leader? Cuz I remember when you played in 2009 with Junior and Mike Sweeney, those guys were basically like the captains of the team. You guys had Junior and Sweeney just, you know, those guys were your captains. Those guys were your leaders. Yeah, you know, 2009. That was uh, Jack Sorensen's first year, and uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we had a we had a pretty good year in 2009. And I credit a lot of that to, you know, something that you cannot um, put a metric on. You, you know, you can't. They don't show up in stats, and that's leadership. And that, you know, Mike Sweeney and 
and just the presence of Ken Griffith, the leadership of uh, of Mike Sweeney. That's like I said, that's something that I'm hoping 2016. Um, yeah, the man is going to have plenty of that character in the dugout because you know, like I said, you cannot. There's no stat sheet for that, and it makes a huge difference. 2000 and then 2010, things didn't get off to you know such a good start, and um, you know we started sort of putting emphasis on things away from. The, the character and things that we really put emphasis on in, in spring training in 2009, and you can see the results. So that's something that I hope, you know, let's talk about going forward with the Mariners and what Jerry DePoto is trying to construct here. Hopefully he can identify that and um, bring that, that um, character into the dugout. And Franklin definitely is, is, a, is a big piece of that. I mean, he's, he's a guy gets along with everyone, uh, you know, very down-to-earth, easy to talk to, you know, can can um, doesn't take himself too seriously, and he's been around for long enough. So guys really respect him, and, and you know, you need more of that in the dugout, that's for sure. And, you know, you bring up Franklin being 33 coming into the next season. Uh, on the same token, you have Robinson Cano, who's the same age as Franklin Gutierrez, and despite only playing a third, in the game, a third of the games, Franklin had a better batting average by by almost – uh, ten point, ten point. Right. So, I mean, mm. Yeah, definitely. That's 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 an excellent point you made there, Chase. Um, you know, I I truly believe that Goody next year he's going to bring a lot of leadership to this clubhouse. He's going to be a positive uh, guy in that clubhouse. And you know, when things are down, he's going to be the guy that you know the young kids look to. And you know, and of course Robinson Cano, he's the same age as uh, Goody, and you know, you got those veterans like Felix Seeger and uh, Cano Cruz to to you know help the young guys. And speaking of that, let's let's go ahead and move on to the uh, uh, first big move that Jerry Depoto made. Uh, basically, uh, getting rid of three guys to which I did do believe were really holding this team back. Uh, Logan Morrison, Brad Miller, and Danny Farquhar traded to the Tampa Bay Rays uh, for right-handed starter Nathan Carnes, reliever C.J. Reffenhauser, I believe that's his name, hopefully, and, of course, uh, minor league outfielder who has possibly one of the best names in baseball, Boog Powell. Um, <laughs> Chase, your take first on the trade, and then I'll get yours, Ryan, but your uh, take first, Chase, on this trade that Jerry DePoto made. You know, when I when I first heard the trade, I was, I was kind of – I was kind of bummed because I really did like Logan Morrison just as a person and as a player he wasn't bad but you know I'm looking at I'm looking at Nathan Carnes stats right now and he really he really showed up this year he's only been in the league in the major leagues for three years he's 27 he's young and a 3.67 ERA in how many games in 147 innings pitched is not bad so and that's something that we that's definitely something that we needed uh, going into next year is is good pitching, decent pitching. And this this trade really I think we got I think we got the better end of the deal in this trade. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh Ryan, your take on the trade and and what this mean and what, you know, all three of these players who the Mariners did receive uh can do for this ball club coming into two thousand yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you see the trend in baseball now is younger athletic players, and uh, so this trade, you know, is designed towards that. You're giving up three guys that, um, you know, they were, you know, core players on a, not, on a pretty mediocre team last year. So you're giving up guys that it's not huge impact guys, um, and no discredit to them whatsoever, the guys who got traded away, um, Logan Morrison and the like. But, you know, what you're getting, you're getting depth 
uh, and you're getting younger, more athletic players. So the trade to me was, if if the opportunity was there for me as a GM, it's an absolute no-brainer. Um, and you can see, hopefully, this um, with what Jerry DePoto is trying to do, uh, and I've, you know, from the interviews and things I've seen, he's trying to create a little bit more of his philosophy there in Seattle and uh, start building that. So I think that's the starting point of what he's trying to build. Um, and so I think it was a great trade, and I think it was a great way to start the offseason. Yeah, definitely. Um, first off, Danny Farquhar last year was horrendous. I mean, the year previous he was really locked down, but then, of course, this year he just was up and down, could not get anything started. Logan Morrison was a bit of an injury plague season, could not really get the bat going. Uh, Brad Miller, uh, I, w- I was never high with Brad Miller. I mean, the first year that he was with us, even even I said I'm not really high on him because, of course, Brad Miller has had a lot of errors in the field. And, of course, the Mariners have Cattell Marte now at shortstop, the future of this franchise in Cattell Marte at shortstop. And, you know, I, I will say this. I wish nothing but the best for both Lomo, Brad Miller, and Danny Farquhar. But, again, now the Mariners, they have upgraded their pitching with, the right, with, with Nathan Carnes. Again, he was a great – he was actually – that's a great pickup. Of course, C.J. Ritt. Reifenhauser, I believe that's how we say it. We get a reliever in the bullpen. That's something the Mariners also needed. We struggled. In, our bullpen was just horrendous this year. And, of course, we get a, a really well-regarded minor league outfielder in Boog Powell. And hopefully he actually uh, could possibly be up in Seattle, maybe by possibly the midseason, because we I'm possibly guessing he's going to start the season uh, either in double-A AA or triple-A. But, yeah, I mean, just loving this trade by Jerry DePoto. Love the fact that we got, you know, what we really needed in this trade. And love it. And so far, Jerry DePoto has gotten my loves. I love that. I love this man. And uh, he's been doing great things for us. And, uh, Ryan, uh, uh, I mean, what's, what's, so far, what is your take on Jerry DePoto and what he's bringing up? Well, well, first of all, I'm going to be honest. When when they were doing the GM search, I was kind of hoping, um, and I was actually up in Seattle in September doing some uh, media stuff. I was hoping that they would follow. Yeah, I'm not using this just because they won the World Series, but the Royals model, the the Cubs model, what they're doing, um, and the Astros. They're the three examples I can use. Uh, let's talk about obviously the Royals. Look, look at the core players. I mentioned before, young, athletic. These are guys who have come up through the system together. They're young. And, and you can see the Royals have not only did they have a plan for, obviously they had a plan for 15, 14, uh, 16, 17, 18. You can see the next five years in place because they've got locked-in core players. You can see the Chicago Cubs are starting to have that now. They, they took a little bit and, and in a market like Chicago where they expect a win-win-win because it's, you know, obviously it's a big market team. Well, Theo Epstein walked in there and I, I hate words, using the words rebuild. But he he just I like to say regroup, took cut away the fat a little bit, and started to build a core of players. And you can see the exciting baseball they're playing in Chicago. And then obviously the Houston Astros. I mean they were the laughing stock of baseball two years ago. But look at what they've done. They've got that young core of players. Their their minor league depth is ridiculous. Same as Chicago now, um, and same as the Royals. The minor league depth is really good. So I got to be honest with you. Before Jerry was selected as the GM got the job, I was kind of hoping that maybe we could have gotten one of these understudies from, you know, these teams like the Cardinals, um, you know, and, and or pluck away someone from the Red Sox, even even at Ben Sherrington, um, 
you know, I really respected him in my time over with Boston. But, you know, take away something like that where they can have a plan for 2016 and a plan for five years down the road and, and build a, a young core of players. But as Jerry, as I've, as I've followed along with what he said, and, and he's made a few, um, you know, key things in some of his interviews and things like that, he wants to build a certain philosophy um, in Seattle. And that philosophy is not just a slogan for the fans. It's a philosophy when it comes to, you know, he mentioned at-bats, right? I'm a, look, I'm a pitcher, guys, but there's nothing I love more than guys who can put together quality at-bats. In Seattle, that didn't happen in 2015. And one thing Jerry Depardieu publicly has said is that, look, he, he, he wants to put together, wants guys to put together quality at-bats. So, once again, that, that, gets, that gets my vote. Um, and the other thing, too, you know, he's mentioned you know, a few things about, you know, he has mentioned things about leadership um, and he has used some names that he likes to, uh, you know, follow along with, with, with like Clint Hurdle, for example. He mentioned him in an interview. Um, I love the Joaquin Benoit trade. So there's little things like that that I do like. Um, initially, honestly, just with, though, with Jerry DePoto, I didn't want to see another Jack Sorensic, but one thing that bothered me is when he said, he wants, to, he wants to build a team around pitching and defense. Well, we heard that from Jack Sorensic in 2009, and there was, no, there was no heavy hitters in the lineup. There was no intimidation. When you go into a place like, as a pitcher, you go into a place like New York or Boston, you've got that middle of the lineup that is intimidating. You know, I'm, trust me, I've, I've dealt with plenty of that, especially 2010. So I, do, I, I don't want him solely just to um, you know, concentrate, worry about defense and pitching. I need to have a bit of thump in the lineup. But so far... I'm loving what he's doing, and he's really growing on me as a GM. Yeah, he is. I mean, uh, again, loving what he's doing with the team. You mentioned the trade for Joaquin Benoit. Let's go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about that. I uh, love the fact that he uh, picked up a guy who is a, a good veteran and definitely someone to have in the bullpen. And he offloaded two uh, very high, uh, possibly uh, very high prospects, and People are saying that, oh, I don't really like this trade. We just off unloaded, you know, prospects, and then some are saying, oh, I like this trade. Me, I love this trade because all Jack Sorensic, and again, I've I've never really was a fan of Jack Sorensic, but all Jack Sorensic did was just stack our minor league system with prospect after prospect, and could not get in. And that's all I think he was really focusing on was the future, not the present. And mm-hmm. love this trade uh, for Joaquin Benoit for two prospects. Uh, Chase, your take on the Joaquin Benoit trade? I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Is you know, Zrenzik would just trade for prospects and and just not and not he would build for the future too much. And I love I love Joaquin Benoit as a player. He you know he's he's a great pitcher. He's he's just he's just a pro through and through. And if you're gonna if you're gonna be successful, you have to play in the now. And you know you you can't win next year's World Series by by playing for players in the future. So this this trade really it it really added to our our depth. And you know pitching, like I mentioned earlier, is something we desperately needed all of last year. And it's 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 a good move. I I really do enjoy it. Definitely, definitely. Um, and then, of course, and then, of course, we have the the rumor saying that uh, that there there's been reports that the club that Jerry Depoto has made it clear that he wants to get more athletic in the outfield. So he is wanting to get 
center fielder Brett Gardner from the New York Yankees. And some people are against it, but me, I, I, I can't argue with this one because Brett Gardner, yes, he may be, you know, 32 years old, I believe that's how old he is. But, I mean, come on, we, we need some guys in the outfield. I mean, what do we have right now? Let's go ahead and look at let's go ahead and look at the Mariners' uh, current outfield right now. Let's go ahead and look at that. Frankly, uh, Gutierrez is going to definitely help with that. That's for sure. Yeah. We have Seth Smith in the back in in right field right now, and and who do we have in left? I don't. Yeah, we don't. But uh, look, Ryan, I actually want to ask you about this real quick. I mean, I love the fact that this guy was brought up uh, during the. Uh, but I officially gave him a hashtag, and I hope the Mariners get trademarked it. But the Irish Mariner, Sean O'Malley, I loved Sean O'Malley. All he did was just just play unbelievable baseball in his in his short time in 2015, and I just loved the fact that we had an Irish Mariner on there. And I want your take on Sean O'Malley and what he and if he may actually even have a chance at possibly making the team next season. Yeah, you know, like you said, a small sample size. Um, you know, some guys come up and, and they're unknown. So, um, you know, when it comes to you know, pitching to rookies, you really don't have a scattering port. And I'm not – obviously, I'm not taking anything away from him. But once we see a bigger sample size of him, and, you know, he's, he's a guy that – you know, he's a guy you can definitely like, like you mentioned, um, and Mally, you know, uh, you created a hashtag. Good job on that one. But, um yeah, you know, um, once we see a bigger sample size, and spring training, hopefully as, as the off-season, um, you know, goes along, hopefully in spring training we've got the guys who are competing for jobs. There's nothing better and there, when you go into spring training and guys are competing for jobs. I mean, it's, it's a, that's the best thing ever. And you mentioned the outfield. There is one guy who I played with in 2013. Um, that his name's kind of been brought up a little bit through a few different trade rumors, Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, I got a chance to play with him. Great guy, great teammate, and he is so athletic. And as far as defense, he, I still think his defense is underrated. He was running balls down like I've never seen before, and I've you know, been playing for 15 years, all different levels. But the guy, super athletic. He's super. He's really coachable. He's a guy that can come into a, to a new system, um, you know, with a new manager, and really get on board with what's going on. I'd love to see him come over to Seattle. That would be one name that I'd love to see him bring in. But, um, you know, you, you never know. And and spring training will be huge. O'Malley is going to be a guy that is going to be one of those guys fighting for a spot, which is great. And hopefully we can see a bigger sample size in 2016. Yeah, definitely. I know I, I'm hoping I'm hoping you're in still good connection with the Mayors, but you need to help me get that hashtag started. you got to get it because they need they need. <laughs> No, I'm being serious. Like I, I think I was the only person on Twitter to even use that hashtag. I, I kid you not. I never, but me. It, it was probably it was probably too smart. So, sometimes the, the the dumbest hashtags catch on. You know that that's what goes viral. So you probably made it a little bit too smart for people. That's probably why it didn't catch on. So we'll work on it. <laughs> yeah, that is the point. Uh, looking also at the Mariners' uh, roster currently. Looking at our outfielders. I mean. I'm looking at Seth Smith. Really, I, I kind of liked what Seth Smith did last year, but um, really I'm not a fan of him in the outfield. And people are also saying that they're not a fan of Nelson Cruz in the outfield. And here's what I have to say about that. If you don't think that Nelson Cruz is a good outfielder, then take a look at some of the plays that he made last year. Take a look at some of the diving plays that he's made. Take a look at some of the throws that he's made into the infield that has actually created outs. And... 
first of all, he's he's possibly going to be used as DH primarily this upcoming year, and I know Mark Trumbo will possibly be at first base, so I'm liking that. But, you know, I still would love to see Nelson Cruz in the outfield because, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Nelson Cruz in the outfield. I mean, he was he was a, he made some plays. Uh, Chase, your take on Nelson Cruz and his play in the outfield and what you what you saw last year when he was in the outfield. I mean, first of all, the guy the guy's a four time All Star, so you can't you can't really discount him whatever position you play him in. I liked I liked him in outfield. I liked him in right. Uh, he he definitely contributed a lot in the in the uh, defensive field, and he batted better when he was playing in the outfield versus when he was a DH. So you can't you can't discount that either. Is is you know when you play consistently in the field, then it translates to batting. So yeah, uh, Ryan, your take on Nelson Cruz and and you know what what he did in the outfield and how he actually did produce better uh, hitting-wise when he did play in the outfield, whereas he did not produce as well when he was playing DH. Yeah, yeah, there's something to be said to that, guys who, um, I guess you want to say, distracted when they're playing in the field. I've seen guys who, you know, guys walk in the day and go, I hate to DH because all they're thinking about is they're at-bats. But, you know, look, you can put a guy anywhere who hits 301 and 44 home runs, you know, for you. I mean, you can stick him anywhere. And sometimes guys who... Yeah, you know, have such big offensive years. Sometimes they don't get credit for their defense. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. If you're gonna if you're gonna compare a guy like Nelson Cruz to Seth Smith, obviously you're gonna go Nelson Cruz. But I would I would like to see him. You know, like you mentioned, playing the outfield, be consistent, have consistent at bats as an outfielder. But um, you know, we'll see we'll see how it sort of shapes out. And, and uh, it, it, look, as long as he's as long as he's putting up 40 plus home runs and, and hit 300, you can stick him anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, let's go ahead and get on to free agency because I know a lot of people have been wondering, you know, who do you think the Mariners should go after? First off, me, uh, they were talking about Chris Iannetta. I actually would like that pickup. People are saying, oh, he hit uh, two, you know, 183 last year. First off, that's better than what Mike Zanino hit. I will say that first off. That is better than what Mike Zanino hit <laughs> last year. Uh, Zanino is going to be starting – the year in AAA, no doubt about it. Um, and uh, looking at the the catchers that are available, Chris Sionetta, uh Deonna Navarro, Giovanni Soto, Jared Saltalamacchia, you know, the only other one that's – the one guy that really stands out that is going to get possibly a lot of money if he was to possibly play in Seattle would be Alex Avila, 29 years old. And he's the youngest out of the free agents so far. Um Orion, your take on the Mariners' free agency uh, dilemma and, and who they should really target in this upcoming offseason? Well, it depends on how they, how highly they feel about Zanino, too. You know, I mean, I know that obviously September you can get, even go back up, but um, you know, you mentioned um, Avilas, um, solid player, you know, very solid. Uh, he can hit a little bit, but um, you know, then again, I've never played with Chris Lionetta. I've, I've um, played a bit of winter ball with Avilas, but. Yeah, you know, like a lot of things happen inside these meetings, and a lot of guys, a lot of coaches, uh, new coaches, new GMs have had experience with these guys. Obviously, Dakota's had a bit of experience with Chris Ionetta. He may know something we don't, as far as this goes back to the character's point of thing, point of view. And you know, the, the the defensive catcher. Look, that's a big thing in baseball. I'm not too high on it. I'd rather have a guy who can hit a little bit because, you know, for me, I never really noticed. I mean, I did notice good defensive catchers, but people put a lot of stock in a guy who hits. 
you know, 190 and can call a good game. But I feel like, you know, for me, I'd rather have a guy with a bit of thump, you know, um, scoring some runs. But, you know, obviously, you know, inside those GM and the front office meetings, they know more than we do uh, as far as, you know, guys that they've had as players, um, this, that, and the other. But, um, you know, Alex Avila, you've got uh, Ionetta from the from catching standpoint. That's pretty much, you know, if, if you look down the list of free agents, that's really, uh, really it when you're talking about starting catching. Uh, you know, Deanna Navarro, he's a free agent. Um, but, uh, you know, besides that, when Giovanni Soto is on that list as well, but, you know, besides that, as far as guys who are going to be playing every single day, uh, if they're your options, well, obviously the Polos had experience with Ionetta and that might that might give him the, the, the heads up when you're talking catching. Yeah, definitely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, Chase, your take on the mayor's issues with free agency. And uh, first off, I want to I put out a little bit of a um, suggestion. First off, Chase, you answer this, and of course I want your answer on this one as well, Ryan. But I'm looking at the free agencies, and really I'm looking at Justin Ruggiano. And mm-hmm. I really loved Justin Ruggiano with the Mariners last year. I will say this. If he had a chance to play every day, we would have seen a more – uh, profi- uh, a more uh, more produ- more pr- productive see- a little bit more productive from Justin Ruggiano because he was one of the better outfielders that we did have and I was very very upset when we actually had to let him go um, also on the free agency is Dexter Fowler and of course Den- uh, Denard Spann two of the top guys that I think that you know Jerry DePoto should go after and you know, uh, Chase, your take on those three guys and, you know, what I was just saying about also Justin Ruggiano. You know, I I had a – I liked Justin Ruggiano. I thought he would – if we got if we gave him a chance to play, like you, like you mentioned, if we gave him a chance to play, he might have showed his worth more than he did, and it was a shame to see him go. Um, but at the same time, you know, we weren't playing him. We had Seth Smith, who ended up being fairly productive for us. And, and like we were talking about earlier, Franklin Gutierrez and Nelson Cruz, like those, those are staples that you, you have to play every day. Uh, I want to talk about um, Hisashi Okuma for a little bit, though. And okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Uh, for, before we actually get on Hisashi, uh, I do want to get Ryan's take on uh, the three guys that I just mentioned. Oh, I mean, yeah, Ryan... Yeah, yeah. I mean, first off, I, again, I was very disappointed when Ruggiano did leave. I mean, I was really a big fan of his because, again, he did not get the time that he needed to play. And mm-hmm. I, I think that the Mares, they had a lot of players just like that. If they would have gotten the uh, necessary playing time, we could have seen different results. But, again, your take on, you know, what I said about Ruggiano and, of course, uh, Denard Spann and Dexter Fowler being on the free agency and both of those guys with tr- good speed – even though that span is coming off, I think, a knee surgery. Um, but, yeah, your take on those two guys and if they could possibly be mayors in the future this upcoming season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're, um, when you look at the lineup, you obviously got the middle of the lineup, Cruz, Seeger, and Snow uh, in the middle of the lineup. So if you've got something up top with experience that can run, um, you know, Dexter Fowler is a guy who I've, I've had a lot of trouble pitching against him. Uh, <laughs> he is a... Uh, yeah, he's a guy who um, can definitely like have some um, <clears throat> you know good starts in your lineup. But um, just so and obviously depending on Span's health, that knee injury with a guy who can run definitely a um, bit of a red flag. But 
Yeah, Rusiana, I was surprised about that when that happened. I was surprised that I wasn't surprised. You know, I was surprised by the fact that, you know, he's a guy, he, he was performing pretty well. Um, obviously, there was something going on there. Um, someone in the coaching staff may have had issues with him or, or something along those lines because I was um, surprised. But at the same time, when things aren't going well, when you look at the point of the season when they did designate him, if you're a bench guy, you're basically going to be the scapegoat. You're going to be the guy who, oh, well, hey, you, basically you're going to be the reason why something's not going right. Off you go, and you're expendable. Bench guys, bullpens, expendable. If you're a bullpen guy, guess what? You're expendable. If you're a bench guy, you're expendable. Things aren't going well. Heating coach gets fired or the manager's struggling or whatever. You're going to be the excuse, and that's kind of where I'm not surprised, um, but at the same time, you know, he, he went off to another team and, and turned it on, so I was really happy for him. But, uh, you know, that stuff happens. That's, that's the business side of the game, which, you know, happens. You're going to see it a lot in 2016 too, most likely. Yeah, definitely. And uh, let's go ahead and get on to Hisashi Iwakuma. First off, Hisashi Iwakuma coming off uh, a possible, you know, kind of a little bit of an off year, but Hisashi Iwakuma making history this upcoming season. Let's go ahead and pull up that highlight because I know a lot of Mariner fans, they would love to hear this. And uh, not going to possibly, uh, we're not going to play the whole clip, but we are going to uh, let's go ahead and play the, uh, the final out of that uh, game. Let's go ahead and look. And... And uh, let's see, is this the final clip? And, uh, yeah, here we go. The final clip of Hisashi Iwakuma's uh, historic no-hitter last season. So there you have it, Hisashi Iwakuma pitching a no-hitter and becoming the first Asian pitcher, you know, since, I believe, Hideo Nomo to pitch one. And, of course, the first American League pitcher to actually throw a no-hitter since uh, Felix Hernandez's perfect game in 2012. Um, and interesting story, I want to tell you guys both about this. Um, I was actually at Madigan Army Hospital during this time, during the whole game, and the <laughs> funny thing is, is that um, me and my fiance, I'm I'm loopy on uh, morphine due to a little bit of an abdominal pain. But of course, you know, I'm I'm sitting there just enjoying the game, and when he, the final out came, I just went yeah! I screamed out. <laughs> nurse nurse comes in, she's like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And I was like, "Oh, Sashi Yukun just pitched a no hitter," and she's like, "Really? You just, you, you screamed out that?" <laughs> but. but Ryan, yeah, definitely. Let's get on Hisashi and his possible future with the Seattle Mariners. He did decline the uh, the 15.8 uh, offer, but I mean, I, I think we'd see Hisashi back here in Seattle, possibly, you know, for two more years, maybe even three. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, you usually see that where a guy will turn down a qualifying offer. He's obviously, um, you know, as far as he's comfortable here, he, he's very, in a way, underrated, especially outside of Seattle. You know, I mean, obviously people in Seattle understand what he does for the team, but um, you know, there's nothing flashy about the guy. He goes out and gives you, you know, six, seven, eight solid innings every single night. So that, that's where a bit of the uh, underrating comes in. But yeah, I, I see him back in Seattle. I don't think they have to pay too much to get him. I think you know something very similar to the, um, the qualifying offer, somewhere around that mark. And um, it's just going to be ex- just going to you know tack on an extra couple of years to that. Um, which would be great for the rotation. Very solid um, middle of the rotation. You got 
some good solid young arms that are still unproven. Um, you know, but and you also obviously you've got Felix Nan is up the top. He, he's uh, a good anchor in that rotation, and I, I, I think we'll see him back 100%. The, the Mariners won't just let him take off after turning down a qualifying offer. So I think it's good. Add a couple of years on, and he's back in Seattle. And, definitely. You know, he definitely gives Seattle that one-two punch with, with Felix and Kuma at, sitting there at the top of the lineup, you know, as veterans who know what they're doing, that can, that can teach the, the young players, the young arms that we have. I think that's important. You know, he threw a five, three, five, four ERA, which isn't. It's on pace with what he was. He did last year, uh, and I don't. And he did. He did really well last year. I think. Yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, he did. He he was. He pitched very well last year. Um, before I get into uh, the uh, the pitching free agency, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Felix Hernandez. And last year was possibly the only season that I've that. Um, well, I want to say the second season to where Felix came within, came so close to winning 20 games. Didn't get it. Uh, injuries held him back. But let's go ahead and talk about Felix. Um, the fact that Felix um, fell out of the Cy Young race, and it was due to very poor pitching, we saw some very un-Felix-like um, Performances, especially in Boston and in and in Houston, where he gave up nine runs in the just the first inning and then ten runs in four innings. I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this: even though that Felix had 19 wins last year, this was a a major off year for him. I mean, the strikeout rate was down, the ERA w- was very high for for Felix. But other than that, I mean, he did pitch well. He had those games. He he was on a great. Uh, run to where it looked like he was going to get 20 wins, but then you saw a stretch to where he lost, I think, maybe six out of seven games, and he couldn't. It didn't look like he could locate his his changeup or his curveball or any of or any of his pitches. Um, Ryan, your take on Felix and his last year? Yeah, you know, yeah, we did see a little bit of a decline stuff wise, but guys, you got to remember too. First of all, he's been pitching since he was about twelve years old <laughs> up in the big leagues. And obviously, that's an exaggeration. That's not far off. He's been doing it since he was really young. And the one thing that he's he's been able to sustain um, the success. A couple of reasons. One, you know, I mean, he's looked after himself up to this point, but not pitching in October, I think, has helped him out uh, pretty dramatically. But there is an expiration date on every on every arm. I hate to say it, and um, you know you can see a little bit of decline in the stuff. Uh, hopefully, this is where those big off seasons come in, and, th- and this is where those four days in between starts come in. Hopefully, and you know, I mean, I don't want to sound cliche on that and sound like you know just um you know gym rat or something like that, but it's so important to recover. And, and with his, I know he's so young, but he has a lot of miles on that arm, so. Hopefully he can just make a few little adjustments this off season, um, a few little adjustments to his recovery in between starts, and that expiration date um, is you know extended a little bit longer. But um, like I said, you see a little bit of decline in the stuff. But the guy, look, he's been pitching that long. He's that confident. He's that competitive. He's a guy that if he was throwing 85 miles an hour, he'd still be able to get guys out. We definitely don't want to see that. But um, as long as, like I said, as long as he can just look after himself physically a little bit, um, I, I think he, he's going to be okay. And, and But, look, Felix Hernandez is Felix Hernandez. He's going to know how to pitch regardless of stuff. Um, and I think he's going to he's going to be solid for you 2016. But 
but hopefully, like I said, make a few little adjustments and you'll be back to the back to the guy who he was a couple of years ago. Definitely. Uh, Chase, your take on uh, Felix and last year and what was going on with him as well. You know, I, I think it just boils down to having you know an off season or an off year. He he's uh, he's one of the best pitchers in the MLB. End of story, I think. And you know, you you mentioned Ryan that you know he's got a lot of miles on his arm, mm-hmm. and and that may have had an impact. And maybe that that may be the case. I just. I can't help but believe that he's going to come back and and play really well next year because that's what Felix has proven he can do year in and year out. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't disagree with you whatsoever. That's, that's my point. Stuff-wise, if he loses a little bit of stuff, he's still going to know how to pitch. He's still going to be solid. Um, and obviously, a guy like that puts a lot of pressure on himself. And there's kind of there's times throughout this season when there were high stress times in the, in, in the year where there's a lot of expectations on the team. And they weren't performing. Um, there was that run, I think it was back in May, where they lost a ton of games. A guy like Felix tries to take the load on. And you can see little times like that. And, and at the end there, where he's trying to win 20 games. It's a lot. I mean, win losses, I think, you know, really overrated. But when you're trying to win that 20th game, that last little part of the season, that was another time where he put some kind of pressure on himself trying to carry that pitching stuff. And like you said, it was an off year because I think a few of those factors that the guy's always going to be able to pitch, is always going to give you 200 innings and be, you know, deep in the game. Um, and hopefully, you know, like I said, physically make a few adjustments and, um, you know, you can see him being what he was doing a couple of years ago. Yeah, definitely. I I, agree. I I don't disagree with any of you guys. I mean, Felix, I, I, I think Felix is going to possibly even have a bounce back year this upcoming year. I think I've got a feeling that he's going to win his, se- his second Cy Young this upcoming season. And, of course, with – what DePoto is possibly going to be doing. I, I foresee a World Series. I, I'm just going to say it up. I'm, I'm one of those guys that says that we can win the World Series every year, but I do have a feeling that this year is going to be our year. Um, getting on to the free agencies before we actually go into the last uh, little bit of a topic, uh, I want to point this out, but John Jason was a free agent this upcoming is, is, is this year. And Jason was another one of those fan favorites, and he was so clutch when he was with the Mariners. Um, Hoping the Mariners may go after him, maybe not. But uh, getting on to the pitchers, let's go ahead and see what we have here. We've got Johnny Cueto, who's 30 years old. We have uh, Zach Granke, 32. Doug Fister, 32. We have um, Scott Kazmier, uh, 32. We've got two guys, Matt Latos and Mike Leake, both 28. You know, good targets for the Mariners to possibly pick up. I'm not seeing the Mariners really getting, you know, Johnny Cueto or Granky, maybe Fister possibly, but um, and also uh, David Price. That's a name that we can possibly take off because I mean, I think a lot of teams will be more interested in him than the Mariners will because the Mariners they've got good pitching as it is, but you know I think either I would really like to see either Matt, uh, Matt Lato coming onto this roster because I uh, with him being 28, that's something that we need. We need a good young arm just like him. Um, Maybe even Giovanni Gallardo or Doug Fister. You know, those guys still have uh, some miles left in their arms, like you said, Ryan. And it would be interesting to see what DePo- who, who DePoto takes a look at and who he signs. And uh, your take on the free agents that I just named off for pitching. Um, I'm going to avoid Matt Latos um, just because of, you know, a couple of things as far as uh, teammates. You know, clubhouse guy. I've heard um, just between between us and whoever's listening, um, and also 
you know, you mentioned a couple other names there, but um, you know, Mike Leake's a name that you know comes to mind. I'm looking at the list right now. You've got uh, Scott Casimir. Um, man, if, you know, if he's definitely a guy because you, you, you look at guys where they're at in their career. Scott Casimir is a guy who's he's been through the absolute brunt. Uh, you know, he, he's been um, basically rock bottom, and you see what obviously he's made a massive adjustment from that. So you look where he's at in that in that stage of his career. So you know he's going to have solid years next couple years. Another guy, another name, Jay Hat, bringing him back. You saw what he did over in Pittsburgh. No, um, no Ryan, not him. Gee, all right, no worries. I'll, I'll avoid him. Okay, no problem. All right, uh, you can hang up on me right now if you want. Um, okay. <laughs> and obviously, you know, David David Price would be nice, but you know, he might be uh, a little bit too expensive. But just looking at, uh, there's, there's a lot of good names here. Um, but uh, I just, like I said, man, you got to look at where guys are in their career, what they're coming off, what they've done the last couple of years. Is, and, and, you know, just going back real quickly to Joaquin Benoit, see what the progression he's done in his late 30s. Um, and that's why I really like that trade. Um, but, you know, you see, like I said, look at, look at some of those guys. And, you know, look at what Jerry DePoto is starting to do and starting to construct. I think he's going to make the right decisions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Chase, hey, before we actually get your take on the pitchers, um, I want to get... Uh, Ryan, he's going to have to get going in a little bit, but I want to, before you get out of here, Ryan, I have to t- we have to talk about one more thing before you get going. And first off, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate this, and it's always so amazing to talk to, with a former Mariner like yourself. Uh, no worries, man. It's been a lot of fun. I love, I love talking, uh, talking baseball and talking Mariners, that's for sure. Definitely. Um, again, Chase, we will get back to the pitchers, but we do need to talk about this. Uh, Ryan, the Hall of Fame... Uh, ballot is looking uh, very interesting this year. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. is basically the highlight name going into his first year. Um, mm-hmm. Me, I think he's a shoe in If he doesn't get at least 99% of the votes, it's going to be kind of, an, kind of wrong. But also you see Edgar Martinez, his seventh year on the ballot. Um, I will say this. I want your take on both Edgar Martinez and Ken Griffey Jr. I know you played with Jr. I'm extremely jealous because Jr. was my <laughs> hero growing up. And I envy you, Ryan, for actually playing alongside the guy who made me a Mariners fan and made me a baseball fan. But, you know, talk about Edgar and Griffey and what they mean to baseball. Because, first off, we know what Griffey means to baseball. He was a superstar, but I also want your take on Edgar Martinez as well. Yeah, well, first of all, King Griffey Jr., if if he's not in the Hall of Fame, I mean, if he's not, like you mentioned, 99%, there's something wrong. And there's something very messed up with the uh, Hall of Fame uh, ballot system, that's for sure. So I think he's definitely a shoo-in. Um, and uh, I want to tell a couple of stories. First of all, Edgar Martinez, when I was in rookie ball back in uh, a long time ago, back when uh, uh, when was this, 2001, he was actually rehabbing down with us. And he's a guy, obviously, huge name in Seattle. I, I knew who he was coming from Australia. And uh, he would just spend so much time with all us little punk 18-year-olds. Um, and I remember bringing up to him years later. He was always in the clubhouse after he was done playing. He's, he's done with his baseball career. And I brought it up to him. He goes, yeah, I remember hanging out with you guys. Just an absolute great guy. And I think a lot of that goes into the, those ballots when the relationship they have with the reporters, obviously, um, you know, the reporters are the ones who vote on that stuff. I think, you know, look, he's, he's a chance. I would love to see him in it. But, you know, we're just, we're, you know, stuff like you mentioned, seventh, seventh year on it. But uh, as far as Griffey goes, you know, and you mentioned your envy of me playing with him, I never forget Jeff Clement. I don't know if you guys remember that name, um, the, the catcher we used to have here in Seattle. 
um, him and I were in spring training. We found out um, Griffey was coming over to play, and uh, we just both looked at each other and it was just like, "Please be cool, because you're just going to ruin our whole childhood if you're not if you're not a good dude." So and he was look, he was a great teammate. There's not not one bad thing I can say about the guy. Uh, super supportive of me and a lot of the other younger guys. But um, yeah, he's definitely going to be in it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm definitely tuning into the Hall of Fame this year, and uh, hopefully he's wearing that uh, Mariners cap. I'm pretty sure he would be, but, yeah, he's, he's a great guy, and, and I wish him all the best. Definitely. Uh, and before you go, I just want your take on this. Barry Bonds, this is his fourth year on the ballot. Um, I want your take a little bit on both Bonds and Clemens. Um, some people are saying that Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame because he's, they're saying he's one of the greatest hitters to ever play, uh, most home runs in baseball history. But And, of course, Clemens, who is – one of the better pitchers in baseball, but, you know, steroids have, you know, kind of tainted their name, and especially Barry Bonds with home run record. I want your take on, you know, Bonds and Clemens and what you – if they were to get into the Hall of Fame, I mean, what I mean, what would that mean? I mean, would that mean, like, any cheater, like – I'm not trying to be, you know, negative, but would, any cheater like Alex Rodriguez, would he be allowed to even get into the Hall of Fame as well? Yeah, you know, first of all, you see a lot of guys who – you know, they get popped for HGH or whatever. They come out and they apologize and they do the press conference and they say, I'm really sorry. Uh, two years down the track, they got a multi-year deal and, and everyone's forgotten about it. Uh, obviously, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens have never done that press conference. They've denied it all the way through. Um, and their relationship with the press, uh, who actually vote those guys in, isn't great. So I don't see them going into the Hall of Fame unless they can, yes, have some sort of campaign. You see Pete Rose start to sort of campaign himself a little bit right now to crawl his way back into baseball. But I, look, nothing, I, I can't sit here and comment and say, well, look, here's the facts. This is what they did um, as far as testing, being tested positive. But uh, when, when you're talking about, and this is very political of me, but when you're talking about um, who are the ones voting them in, that's, that's the press, uh, basically. Um, they're the ones, they're not going to vote them in. Um, and the other thing is, too, they're never going to admit anything if they did do something. Um, so it's just going to be when it's going to be just the the uh, you know the continuing uh, pattern. And uh, yeah, I've, I've gotten a chance to meet Roger Clemens, great guy, very intense, and one of the best pitchers in the game. Barry Bonds, one of the most intimidating. I got to face him in spring training, most probably the most intimidating at bat I've ever had. Um, and the guy can absolutely rake. Um, it's really unfortunate uh, the way he, you know, when you hear Barry Bonds, you think about nothing but scandal. Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard mixed things as, as far as the clubhouse guy. But, you know, like I said, those two guys, it's all about their relationship with the press and uh, and also, you know, what, what they've admitted and what they haven't admitted. So you're not gonna, probably not going to see them in the Hall of Fame. So, and you mentioned A-Rod too. A-Rod's on a bit of a campaign at the moment, um, doing some TV appearances and, you know, with the uh, in the playoffs and things like that. So he's on a bit of a campaign right now to sort of, you know, get back in the good graces of the um, of the press. And that would be really, um, um, it would be interesting to see what happens with him once he's done playing, that's for sure. Definitely, definitely. Well, hey, Ryan, I don't want to keep you anymore. Uh, you can get, actually get along. But, again, thank you so much for joining me and Chase on the podcast, and uh, we really hope to have you on again sometime. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Have a good night. I'm sorry about the Seahawks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, see you guys. Yeah. All right, Chase, it's time to uh, talk about what we were just talking about, about our uh, the pitcher free agencies. Your take on you know some of the guys that I named off. Well, 
those are those are obviously great names, and and you know Johnny Cueto, David Price. I you I agree with you that they're they're a little bit out of the Mariners price range. I I want to bring up Antonio Bastardo. Actually, he's he's a name that has been linked with the Mariners, and he's you know a two nine eight ERA in fifty seven and a third innings uh, on a Pirates team that that competed for the playoffs and and was very I mean competitive to to use a use that word again. So I think I think he could be a great pickup for us, and he's a he's a lefty, which the Mariners could use some experience. Lefty, if he's been in the league seven years. For, uh, he's thrown for a 3.58 average ERA, and having a guy like that would be incredibly useful for the Mariners bullpen, which, as we've mentioned over and over again, has been depleted. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's definitely what we really need to look into is uh, the bullpen. Uh, before we actually get uh, all done with Mariners talk, let's go ahead and get wrap it up right here, and then we'll go to a quick short break. But let's go ahead and. Uh, I want your take on the Hall of Fame ballot as well. Let's go ahead and, uh, you know, get your take on Edgar and, of course, Ken Griffey Jr. First off, my take, um, again, if Ken Griffey Jr. does not get within 99% of the votes, there's something very wrong. Because, I mean, how can you not vote in one of the greatest baseball players to ever play? I mean, Griffey, if, if injuries had not plagued him, you would have seen Jr. hit over 800 home runs in his career doing it the right way. And, of course, Edgar Martinez, seventh year on the ballot. Um, you know, let me say this. How can you have an award named after you and not be in the Hall of Fame? You you, you stole the words right out of my mouth, man. And and I don't think – obviously, Griffey is a shoe-in. Like, there's there's absolutely no way that he doesn't get 99% of the vote. And and you stole the Edgar Martinez uh, argument right, after, right out of my mouth. He's got – the Edgar Martinez Award, which uh, which Big Poppy wins every year, it seems, and he's got a street named after him. And the, he's an icon in Mariners baseball, and he's an icon in the sports world because, uh, as Ryan mentioned, he knew who Edgar was coming out from Australia, which is quite a ways away. <laughs> I don't think I need to mention that. So I'd love to see him make it. I think this year is one of the best chances that Edgar's got to to make it in this year definitely definitely all right so uh, we are going to take a quick short break when we come back uh we're actually going to get uh we're all done here with uh, the mariners talk but once we get back me and chase uh we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about the seattle uh the seattle uh sounders excuse me and we're also going to get into a little bit of seattle thunderbird i told i told myself i we definitely have to do a little hockey on here um, we'll also get into a little bit of NHL. The, the closest team, really, in in my opinion, to Washington is the Anaheim Ducks. So we'll talk a little bit about them. We'll probably we'll possibly spend um, very short time because I know that a lot of people you don't really want to listen us go on and on all night. But we'll try to get as, uh, this stuff done as quickly as possible so that way we can get to the Seahawks post game. So again, we'll take a quick short break and uh, we will be right back.
And a welcome back here to Seattle Sports Talk Radio. I am your host, Mike, and of course I'm joined by Chase Davy as well. And uh, first off, Chase, uh, we are. Uh, how was how was that interview with uh, Ryan Rollins Smith? I, I know you had to enjoy that talking with him. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, as, as someone with a degree in journalism, it's it's great to talk to someone who's got experience in uh, with with the topics that I want to talk about and. Again, big thanks to, to Ryan for showing up, and uh, we, I, we really appreciate it. I, I know I speak for you when I say thank you for showing up. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, I mean, I, I appreciate him too. Both of us are, uh, if you guys didn't know, both me and Chase are going, you know, for journalism and communications degrees. We do want to be uh, doing this for a while now. We want to be on the air. We want to be talking with you guys. So, uh, uh, Chase, we are on the interesting topic of the Seattle Sounders. Uh, yeah. Seattle, yeah, 2015 is over due to a shootout and very poor defense. And Chase, I think I think you'd want I think you were really anxious to get on this. So I'm going to go ahead and let you start on uh, the Seattle Sounders and their 2015 season. Well, the, the Sounders, I, I I'm a huge Sounders fan and and everybody that I hung out, hang out with is is huge on the Sounders, and you know, it it's really a shame. I still have a hard time talking about it now because you know, going into this season, we had such high expectations, you know, and Clint and Oba, Clint Dempsey and Oba Tony Martins are two of the most dynamic. It's the, one of the most dynamic pairs in almost all of soccer. It's definitely the most dynamic pair in the MLS, in my opinion. And you know, we ran we ran across that stretch where we where they couldn't win a game to save their life. And that really hurt us, obviously. But, you know, we were able to pick it back up when when Quinn and Oba got back together. And they, you know, as soon as they got back on the field together, they had an immediate rhythm and we started scoring goals and we started winning games. And that, that last, you know, that last push toward the playoffs was really exciting soccer to watch. And... To talk about the playoffs a little bit, uh, you know, FC Dallas is a great team, and I can't I can't discount them at all. And I, if, there, if there's any other way, if there's a way I want the Sounders to lose in the in the postseason, it's in a it's still a penalty shootout to a, a great FC Dallas team with speed and great ball skills, and their their strikers are absolutely amazing so so props to the props to fc dallas for for coming to our house and and taking it to us yeah definitely uh let's go ahead and look at two highlights of course really that really was very special in the first game let's go ahead and look at the first goal that really uh helped the sounders in this game and uh, here it is uh, uh Andre- andreas evenschitz <laughs> There you go. There's an uh, even shit's goal, and then of course uh, the Sounders go down or were tied in, of course, uh, the leg one. And here, of course, Captain America comes to the rescue in game one. 
there you go. Captain America came through. The Sounders go ahead and win that one. Um, go into Dallas. They, they were down one nothing. I mean, get a goal uh, to tie the game up. And then, of course, in extra time, the first uh, minute in extra time, uh, Dallas comes back, scores. And, of course, everyone knows what happens after that. They go on to win the shootout 4-2. to two, And uh, uh, Sounders early exit for the seven, or for the yeah for the seventh consecutive year. Um, early on in the alliance meeting, uh, they said that Ziggy Schmidt was going to be their coach next year. No doubt about it. And uh, Adrian Hanauer uh, is going to be the majority owner. Joe Roth uh, putting the majority uh, in, in, under his control. And uh, and Chase, let's go. Let's go ahead and look at some of the interesting. I mean, let's go ahead and look at some of the players that the the, the, the Sounders will have for next year. We got Obafemi Martins, of course, uh, led the team in goals, 15 goals. Um, he also had six assists, and of course, Clint Dempsey had 10 assists, along with 10 goals to go for it. And we got, of course, Chad Barrett, who was one of the uh, just an amazing player. I just love having Chad Barrett on this team. Um, of course, Lamar Nagel with four goals. But uh, and, and and let's talk about this. I mean, the Sounders, they've got some decisions to make. I mean, yeah. we've got we've got some great players on this team. We got, of course, Ozzy Alonso, Chad Barrett, um, Clint Dempsey. I mean, we we've got players that are that are on this team, no doubt about it. But there were players that went down with injuries that really were key players that we needed in this uh, season, a lot, especially with uh, Roman Torres. That was a player that once he went down, it was that really. I mean, that truly hurt us when Roman Torres went down. You're absolutely right. And, you know, as as we saw in, in both FC Dallas matches in the playoffs, is our defense just couldn't pick it back up. We, you know, we were letting people get by us. We were – it was just – it was poor defending just overall, and, and that's, that's what ended up costing us, I think, in the long run is, is injuries. Yeah, definitely. Um, first off, I want to say this. Uh, next year, I don't want to see Zach Scott on this team. Um, I, I know he's a fan favorite, but first off, Zach Scott and who else was I going to mention? And Brad Evans, those guys right there, um, very poor on defense. They've made crucial mistakes that have really cost this team, uh, that, that, have, that have cost this team giving up late goals. And if, if, if we're going to go back to the postseason next year, and even have a chance at the MLS Cup, we need to get better on defense. Plain and simple. Because, I mean, when we, were, when we went on this stretch to where we kept losing game after game, and not only did we lose game after game, we got shut out game after yeah. game. And it was, I mean, we weren't losing by many goals. We were losing by maybe one or two goals at, the t- at most. But, I mean, it, it, it's... It was just baffling at the fact that we kept losing like this. But, of course, in the end, I mean, it, it was mostly injuries that cost this team. I mean, so many players went down. Chad Barrett went down early on in the season. Nelson Valdez, he went down. Of course, Roman Torres, he was out for the season. Um, Ozzy Alonso, he was out for a couple of games. Um, you know, and uh, Lamar Nagel, we missed him. We, we also missed, you know, Clint Dempsey due to uh, – you know, international games, and, and, and that's the one thing that gets me all the time is is when we have our best players taken away due to international play, I mean, th- th- this is my take on that. I mean, yes, you want, your, you want to have 
your best players on your international team. But if you're going to take players, or if you're going to have players on the United States national team, and they have a different team to where they have to play, and let's say if they want to play a friendly, that's not an important game to where you need to take a player off the Sounders roster and get them into a international game. An international friendly, that's not a big deal. Now, if it was a World Cup qualifier, yes, you can go ahead and have them. But if it's a friendly, no, we keep our players. I see where you're coming from there, but at the same time, being called up for an international league game, friendly or not, is one of the biggest, it's one of the, the biggest milestones that any player anywhere in the world can get, and to receive that call is is a real honor. So I don't I don't know anybody that would turn down the opportunity to play. I I don't know very many um, professional soccer players, but. Uh, I can't say that I would turn down a chance to, to play on the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, next season, though, the Seattle Sounders, we're, we're about to get off the Seattle Sounders, but uh, Seattle Sounders are looking at, you know, guys like uh, Tomas, uh, Andre, Andreas Correa, uh, of course, even Schitt, Andres even Schitt, I'm hoping that he can stay on as a full-time starter, and, I'm, and that would be just amazing. Of course, we've got uh, Lamar Nagel. I hope to keep him on this team as well. Um, Roman Torres and Nelson Valdez, when they are healthy, you combine uh, both Valdez and Torres and the other guys along with Obafemi Martins and, uh, you know, Alonzo and uh, Clinton Dempsey, and you've got a really great soccer team. That's the thing. That's going to be the key for next season is staying healthy. Big thing, stay healthy. And I think that's a that's a thing in every sport. Um, you know, obviously physical fitness plays one, is one of the biggest things in the MLS because players are running around for 90 minutes, and that's eight of the 11 players on the field are running around for for 90 minutes, and that's that's not anything to be taken lightly. And you mentioned even shits. I I really love having even shits on the team. I think he's a great addition. I think he's he brings a lot to the offensive side of the field that uh, we didn't have before. And and so, I, I like you said, I, I love the acquisition of him, and I hope he can stay on the team uh, a lot better. And on the defensive side, you know, Chad Barrett's there. Chad Barrett's great, you know, uh, MLS all-star. And we just need to build the pieces around him because I think he's going to be on the team for a long time. And I'm I'm looking forward to next year and seeing what the Sounders can do with all of their offensive pieces. And, you know, we just need to focus on defense and staying healthy, like you said. And uh, we've got a great shot at the MLS Cup. Definitely. We definitely do. Um, moving on to uh, the next topic, we got two uh, hockey topics we're going to be talking about. Seattle Thunderbirds, of course, we've got to talk about the, uh, the uh, Seattle, uh, current Seattle team in uh, the, Seattle Sa- or the Seattle Thunderbirds, who, in fact, are ranked uh, first in the U.S. division, uh, at twelve and six and one, um, definitely have to say the the Thunderbirds this year they're looking really well. I mean they got a great young they got amazing players like Matthew Barzell, Keegan Colazar, and uh, Ryan Grubb, Jarrett Smith, and you know Keegan Colazar leading the way in nineteen games he's got uh, twenty seven points, fourteen goals, twenty or thirteen assists. Matthew Barzell though twenty four assists, twenty nine points, and of course uh, rounding it up is Ethan Bear in the 
in, in third in scoring with 20 points, four goals, 16 assists. But, I mean, Colazar, I mean, that's really impressive through 19 games. He's got uh, 14 goals. I mean, that's just damn impressive. And the Thunderbirds, they, they really came out uh, really they, – they came out uh, just amazing in the – at the beginning of the season, they just started winning game and just started scoring goal after goal, and it's and it's been very fun to watch the Seattle and or listen to the Seattle Sound or Thunderbirds team this year. You're you're absolutely right, and you know the Thunderbirds uh, Shellwear Center is actually in my hometown in Kent, Washington. So whenever I get the chance to go, I I go because the tickets are cheap, and this year it's been great. It's been great hockey. You know, recent years. Not so much, but to see them scoring goals and to see them really putting to task, taking it to other teams is is really uh, is great to see. And I actually had the um, opportunity to go to high school. Uh, this was a while ago with a uh, with a couple players on the uh, on the team. And actually, I do know two players on the team right now through acquaintance, uh, keeping up with some of my professors in high school. Uh, but yeah, you know, like you said, it's it's great to see them performing as well as they do, and I definitely need to take a chance to go out to Showwear and catch another game this season. Uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, the Sounders. Uh, let's go ahead and look at what they've done so far this season. Uh, the first two, uh, the first uh, uh, three games looked uh, kind of iffy for the the Thunderbirds. They lost three to two to Vancouver in the first game, but then they went and uh, to Prince George, won four to one. And then, of course, uh, they. Uh, lose to Tri-City 6-5, to very tough game right there. Um, but, of course, Seattle then knocked off consecutive wins uh, to Prince Albert, Portland, uh, Kamloops, Victoria, Tri-Cities, and Vancouver. I mean, that's that's the, been the key for the Thunderbirds this year is the, is, uh, the long winning streaks. And and here's the thing. I mean, only in I'm only looking I'm I'm really looking at this thing and really only I see uh one real uh one game where they really just, you know, took off and never looked back and that was the game on Friday, October 16th where they won 7 to 2 over the overcome loops. But uh, you know, they've got a they got a game uh coming up this uh Tuesday against Swift Current of uh, the Swift Current Broncos. Uh that's going to be I believe that yep, that's uh that's going to be a home game. And uh, you know, Again, looking at the uh, top scores in the WHL, uh, we've got Barzell and Keegan Colazar uh, at nine and ten, but uh, the Swift Current Broncos, John Martin, uh, second top scorer in the WHL, twenty-one goals, fourteen assists, and thirty-five points. Um, so he's behind Braden Point for the Moose Jaw Warriors, who has scored uh, eighteen goals, twenty-five assists, and forty-three points. But uh, you know. I, I haven't really paid much attention to it, but you know, looking at what the Thunderbirds have, and uh, let's go ahead and look at their goalie real quick. I do want to look at goalies real quick. Uh, let's go ahead and look at that uh, Thunderbirds. Here we go. Um, uh, you know, uh, Berman or uh, Logan Fl- Flodell, He's been the guy used most of the times, and of course, Taz Berman uh, used in nine games and. Uh, uh, Berman not really having that great of or that great of a season in the nine games. He's a uh, four and three. Uh, he's allowed three point zero three goals allowed, so that's not really good with uh, what the Thunderbirds want out of him. But I mean, it, it, it's something nonetheless. I mean, you got to give the kid some experience. But of course, Logan Flodell, 
uh, 12 games, 8-3-1, and three and, one, uh, and he's only allowed 20 or 2.17 goals allowed, so that's really good. He's got a save percentage of uh, .913, so that's a lot better than what uh, uh, Berman has done, definitely. Yeah, and, you know, the most recent game against the uh, the Royals, like you said, it was great to see uh, Barzal and Kolasar showing up big um, and, and holding Victoria to, to one goal, which is, you know, like you said, that save percentage of 9-1-3 is, is pretty pretty high up there. And you got, got to remember these guys are, are young. As I said, a lot of them are in high school and trying to find their way. So, so uh, good on the sound – or not sounders – Get on the Thunderbirds for for really putting it through and uh, and being a good team, for lack of a better term, uh, all around team I suppose is the term I'm looking for there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I mean, I mean, if you get, if you can get out there, and of course this upcoming Tuesday is going to be a two for Tuesday, so that is something that I always love going to is a two for Tuesday. You get two dollar hot dog and popcorn, and of course two dollar beards. That's a uh, <laughs> it's a big that's a big fan favorite right there, and of course, if you, if if you're over 21, it's great time to go. Um, I actually attended one game this year uh, with my fiance, and uh, we actually had a lot of fun. We won, and it was the um, which one was it? Um, it was I I think uh, can't remember which one it was, but we did win. Uh, the, they did win the game, of course. Uh, I think we actually went to the Saturday, November 5th game, I think, maybe. Or no, what? Uh, oh, wait, we did play Vancouver. So we went to the uh, uh, Friday, October 23rd game. And so that was, yeah, that was definitely a lot of fun. And uh, it, it, it's so special to watch some of these kids. And, and we're actually going to be getting on to the Anaheim Ducks. And a very interesting topic, uh, two former Seattle Thunderbirds played for them. Uh, of course, Nate Thompson, who is officially on the roster for the Ducks. And, of course, in the San Diego or let's go ahead and look at the roster right now for the Ducks. Um, let's see. Where is he at? Where is he at? Uh, okay, so he's going to be – so he's down – so he's actually down in uh, – for playing for the San Diego Goals. But uh, Shea Theodore, of course, they drafted him. And I was so excited when I heard that the uh, Ducks took him because, of course, here, of course, is uh, one of my favorite hockey teams. Basically, I grew up with them due to the fact that, you know, the Mighty Ducks uh, movies. So, Ducks were the only team that I really paid attention to. But, again, you know, you've got Shea Theodore, a former Thunderbird who is a great fan favorite. And, of course, you got Nate Thompson on the on the uh, roster as well. And uh, Nate Thompson, uh, let's go ahead and look at what he's doing this year. Um, Nate Thompson... Uh, Okay, looks like they don't have the stats up there, but yeah, Nate Thompson was definitely a great Seattle Thunderbird in his day. Yeah, you know what, you're right, and uh, like I said, it's always great to see people that you you know you grew up with in your hometown performing well and, and making it to the NHL level because that you know we both played baseball, and you know it was definitely my dream to get up to the. NHL or to the MLB level and, and to see these guys getting up there and, and achieving that is, is really something special. Yeah, it is. But unfortunately for the Ducks, their season has been nothing but disappointment. I mean, a 
uh, let's go ahead and look at their results. But, I mean, this Ducks team, I mean, uh, first off, let's go ahead and look at the, let's see, let's go ahead and look at the NHL real quick. Um, Oh, there we go. Let me go ahead and uh, uh, take a look at the standings. And we definitely need to talk about this because, I mean, again, you know, we're not, we are probably uh, Seattle teams, but, I mean, we got to include some teams like this because, I mean, you never know. People who are, uh, you know, Ducks fans, they would love to know this stuff, but the Ducks uh, have just been horrendous this year. I mean, they are 5, 8, and 4. They have uh, scored only 29 goals, the least amount of goals, I will add. They have scored the least amount of goals in the National Hockey League, and they have given up 45 goals. I mean, that's just it's just terrible to watch this Ducks team play, and it's very frustrating coming from a fan like me, too. Yeah, and I I, I can't really say I'm a, a huge fan of the Ducks. I'm more of a, a Vancouver fan myself, but you're, you're right. It's, it's disappointing to see... The the the, 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 the mm, cannot speak. The Ducks play the way they are, and you know every every season is going to have a uh, a bad team. It's just a shame that it's the Ducks this year. You know, allowing 45 goals like you mentioned, and and scoring only 29 is, is something unacceptable. You you expect a team to at least compete, and they're absolutely not doing that. You know, if you look at some of the results. You know, they got shut out against the Sharks, and they got shut out 4 nothing against the Coyotes, and shut out again against Colorado. It's just it, shut out after shut out. I'm looking at the schedule right now, and it's just it's atrocious, really. Yeah, definitely. And, of course, again, the Ducks were the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, looking at the Pacific Coast League, I mean, to be truly honest, it's it, the Pacific Coast League this early in the season, it's wide open, to be truly honest. I mean, the Kings are on the top at 11 and 6 and they actually have not even lost. They have never got, they haven't gone to overtime. That is something that's um very interesting. It, it, they are one of 1 2 3 4 5 or or one two uh, five teams to not lose in overtime. So that's actually very good, but of course Anaheim's right there four, 14 points, only 8 points down from the Kings. So, I mean, it's still a long season, but the way the Ducks have played defense has just been, you know, just god-awful. Let's go ahead and look at the schedule. You know, it was 2-0, 2-1, for their first four games. Their first four games, they allowed 11 goals. And then, of course, they finally won their first game scoring, uh, winning 4-1 to against the Wild. But then, of course, they went a stretch to where in the th- in three ga- or let's go ahead and in the next five games they allowed let's see oh my god they allowed fifteen goals five one three nothing one nothing four three two to one all losses but the one that really stood out to me was the loss against the Dallas Stars on the twenty seventh and it was just unbelievably ugly to watch. I mean, you get a three-goal lead in the first period, and you come out and you just botch it like that? That's just pathetic. You're, yeah, you're right. And 
I I bring up the Mariners giving up. I don't even want to try and remember. Eleven runs was it in three innings? But you just you you have to play better defense than that uh, on the hockey team. You know the net is small enough, and the goalie takes up most of it. <laughs> I would like to think. Sorry about that. I'm still getting over my cold a little bit. But uh, you know to allow. 15 goals in what you said five games. Five, I mean, that's just that's just so bad. It's so bad. And you know, you mentioned it's early in the season. They're only eight points back uh, from Los Angeles, 22 and 14. So yeah, they're only eight points back, and it's a long season. And they scored. A, they're four, three, and three in their last ten, which is about average. And they they go on a streak. They keep up doing what they're doing. They have a shot at. Uh, uh, being competitive at the very least. Yeah, definitely. Um, the one thing that's been very disappointing this year has been Ryan Getzlaff, um, because looking at the looking at the uh, the leading scores for the Ducks, uh, really the leading scorer is Corey Perry, uh, five goals, six assists, eleven points. That's your lead scorer with eleven points. That's not going to cut it. You need you need to keep getting those points up. But again, Ryan Getzlaff has only had five points and no goals this season in thirteen games. And that is something that the Ducks that's something that the Ducks really rely on is Ryan Getzlaff scoring. He has been one of their best scorers, but Ryan Kessler, of course, got his first goal uh, a couple nights ago. Uh and he has six points, only one goal. So looking at um looking at what the Ducks have, here's here's who who their real good players are. Of course you got uh Andrew Cogliano, Ryan Getzlav, uh, Sammy Va- Vat, Vatnin, Chris Stewart, and Ryan Kessler. And, uh, of course, I'm going to also include Cam Fowler. So, along those guys, uh, I'm going to read this. So, one, three, three, zero, one, and 2. And what I just read is the goals that they have. So, again, you need your, you need your players to score. You need your big-time players to score. you got to have – Corey Perry, he's the only one that's really making anything. Um, he has scored three power play goals, so that's one um, something very interesting. I mean, Corey Perry. I mean, again, when you ha- when your lead scorer only has 11 points, it's not good. You need to get those points up. That's the main thing for the Ducks that they need to do. Um, you know, coming towards the halfway point of this month, they need to get better on defense. That's it. That's basically it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's early in the season. But uh, you you absolutely have to score. I mean, you can't you can't win games without scoring goals. I think that's what every single coach I've ever on every team I've ever played on has told me is you can't score or you can't win without scoring. So you're absolutely right is that we is that they still need to keep scoring goals. And I don't know if that is a is a coaching change that they need to make or a philosophy change or or what have you. But they. They need to change something. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, we're about to get on to the Seahawks, but before we get on to that, let me go ahead and uh, definitely got to uh, go ahead and do that. All right, so uh, before we do that, we um, we need to talk about this. Also, uh, Shane – or excuse me, sorry about this. Uh, trying to find the – trying to find a good – oh, here we go, the good version right there. So we got that. So uh, – 
very interesting. Shea Theodore for the San Diego Gulls. He, in 13 games, he has eight points, uh, one goal, but only seven assists. Um, Shea Theodore, he is a defenseman. He's not gonna, he's not gonna score that many goals. But I mean, you know, I do remember Shea Theodore. He did score uh, a pretty good amount of goals for the Thunderbirds, but he, but he's more of an assist guy. And I'm really hoping to see him in the. Uh, in the uh, in uh, back up uh, with the Ducks and making uh, making moves because I, I tell you one thing, Shea Theodore is the one guy that I think the Ducks really could use because he's a great defenseman. Um, I've seen him live, you know, for the Thunderbirds, and I tell you one thing, when when you need a guy who can you know nail someone on the boards or just you know just literally take a shot and just keep going, Shea Theodore is your guy. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and. Um... If he can keep playing, you know, playing solid defense like he has been, then the the Ducks have a great opportunity as long as he's on the ice to uh, to prevent goals, score goals, and and win games. Yep, definitely. All right, so we are right now at the end of our sounder, or basically our other talk. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, uh, but we would like to mention this. Um, you can actually catch me and Chase on a new podcast as well. We're going to be doing it this upcoming Tuesday. Um, our schedules for the podcast is going to vary. It's going to depend on which days we are most free on. So the first upcoming podcast for us that we're doing is going to be this Tuesday at 7 o'clock. You can definitely catch us on there. So And it is called Nerds and Geeks. We're going to be talking mostly uh, movies and video games and talking a little bit about those things. And we got a real good first podcast uh, promise for you guys. We're going to be talking... Nothing but Star Wars. Um, Chase, incidentally, is watching all six Star Wars, just a study. And we'll also be talking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he's actually going to be watching all three movies and the new one. I, I got a lot of hours of movies to watch ahead of me, that's for sure. Uh, this guy's determined. So, again, we're <laughs> going to take a... We're going to take a quick short break, and when we come back, we are going to get into uh, the Seahawks post game. Talk a little bit about that. So we will take again take a quick short break, and we'll be right back.
All right, we are back here after that quick short break. And, of course, I had to play that, of course, because uh, winter is coming. And, of course, uh, Game of Thrones is about to start as well. And, Chase, are you a big fan of that? Uh, I can't say that I am. I, I watched the first four, I think, episodes, and I have an HBO Go account. But I just I just haven't got into it. It's a little bit too complex, I guess, I want to say for me. Um, it's, not, it's not really my show. Well, definitely, but I mean, we can, we can possibly get a little bit of that talk coming into uh, the Nerds and Geeks podcast. But of course, we got something else to talk about before we actually close out the night, and uh, we're going to try to make this as quick as possible. Because I mean, first of all, I know both me and Chase we have a school tomorrow. We definitely need some sleep, so we're going to try to get this done as quick as possible. So Seahawks lose tonight, thirty nine, thirty two. Yeah. And also, yeah. and we had a great opportunity to win uh, the game, seeing as how uh, St. Louis and Green Bay all lost games today, and and we we came back, but uh, we we just ended up not not being able to shut the door. Yeah, that was a that was a huge thing, and also uh, uh, the news is in that. Uh, uh, Bruce Irvin has suffered a sprained MCL, so that is a huge blow to the Seahawks. We are not sure when he's going to come back. Also, uh, unfortunately, Paul Richardson uh, suffered a uh, pulled hamstring. And then, of course, Lockett came off the field, uh, but he said that he was okay. But, uh, I mean, this is just tough. I mean, Paul Richardson, coming off the, coming into his first game since being activated um, – off the team's physical and able to perform list and catching a 40-yard pass, and then he sprains his hamstring. I mean, how unlucky can you get? You can, uh, it's, it's just really unfor- unfortunate seeing how uh, the Seahawks have been fairly healthy all up until the past two games. You know, you have uh, Lockett going down in Dallas, and he's out for the season, and now Irvin and, and Richardson, and it's just, it it comes at a time in the season when we need them the most too, which is it's just really unfortunate. It is, it is, and and of course we've got Bruce Irvin, one of our best pass rushers, going down with a crucial injury. Um, we're not sure if we're going to see him back uh, this season. So this is a huge blow for us, and especially um, the Seahawks are now four and five. So. This is something that is huge for the. This is this is huge for the Seahawks. The Seahawks are now four and five, um, and and this is a time where the Seahawks, in these upcoming games, they need to play. They have to. They got they got to win. I, I'm I'm just gonna say this: if they don't win out, I think that we our season can really come to a close. People are saying that the season is over right now, but I don't. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call it quits yet. I'm not going to call it quits because it's it's still. I mean, we still have December football left. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. You're absolutely right, and as has happened with the Seahawks uh, in the past two games, injuries can happen anywhere to anybody, really. And despite the fact that we've lost all these key players, uh, it's we have a we have a the Seahawks have a very good schedule. Uh, upcoming, and so they could potentially turn it around and win out. It's it's very plausible, and uh, I think I think that there's going to be there's 
going to be some miraculous, maybe not miraculous, but uh, some serious things are going to have to happen to to shake up the NFC. What with Carolina still being undefeated, and I mean Green Bay's lost Green Bay's lost three games in a row, which is is pretty telling right there. I think the biggest threat to the Seahawks not making the playoffs this year is the Cardinals. Uh, as you saw, they they scored 22 points on us before we could get double digits on the board. And I think we caught a couple, I think the Seahawks caught a couple lucky breaks uh, in their comeback. But um, if the Cardinals, if something happens and the Cardinals start losing games for whatever reason, I'm not, I'm not going to wish injury on any player. Um, but if they just start playing bad football, then I think that's, that's the Seahawks' best chance to get to the playoffs this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, getting on to the Seahawks' upcoming schedule, we've got the 49ers, of course, next uh, in just uh, – and actually only uh, next week. Uh, we, then, we, of course, we've got the Steelers, so that's going to be a very tough matchup. Then we've, uh, then we've got the Vikings. We're playing the Vikings at, in their home. And the Vikings, of course, first in the NFC uh, Central. So As there's a today. Yeah, I mean, Vikings are playing amazing football. And then, of course, and, and here's the thing. Then we've got, I want to say, two possible easy games, but I'm, I'm not going to say they're going to be easy because just the way we've been playing, we're going to be playing the Ravens uh, on a Sunday night, I believe it looks like, either that or a Monday night. Um, we're going to be playing in Baltimore, and then, of course, we're going to come home and play the Browns. So that's going to be interesting. I haven't, it's been a long time since I've seen us play the Browns. I'm hoping we play Johnny Manziel. That way we can knock him around because – I mean, I, I don't think I'm the only person that can't stand Johnny Manziel. I, you're absolutely right. Uh, you're not. I, I think he's, a, he's a funny. He's an entertainer. He, he's he's good entertainment. I don't think he's the best football player. He, with enough practice, he might get there. Uh, but I look at him more as uh, entertainment more than than a football player. To be honest with you. Definitely. And then the final two games, I will say this, it's going to be tough. We're going to have the Rams at home, and then, of course, we finish the season in Arizona. So right now we're looking at, I want to say, maybe three easy wins, three teams that who I can possibly see us – or actually, I'm going to say this, three teams that I can definitely see us winning, um, but four of the last seven games, are going to be the toughest. And I will say this, if we can win at least six out of, if we can win six out of these last seven games, and I will say this, do not lose to any of the, any of the NFC West opponents. If we, lose to yeah. any of the, if we lose to any of the NFC West opponents once, I think we can count it quits. But I will say this, next week, and people are saying that the season's over. We have seven more weeks, people. We can still do it. If we can win out, we, we actually may have a chance. You never know. But if next week, if we do lose to the 49ers, we can call it quits in the season. I will say that. Um, it's not very. It's not easy for me to even say that because I, I don't want to give up on my team. I don't want to say that we're out of it. But with the way that we've – I mean, Chase, we've got a team that is just terrible. I want to say this: we we are one of the worst offensive teams in the NFL. We, our offensive line is the worst in the NFL as well. Um, our defense, our defense looked good 
and then of course they just shut down. And it, it and it's looking like this team is just falling apart really. You're you're right. And and honestly, I think it comes down to play calling. I Daryl Bevel has not let's be honest, we've made it to the Super Bowl the past two two years in a row now. Yeah, I had to do my math real quick. But that's because our defense has been so good and it's been our defense is made up for the lack, really, of offense that Daryl Bevel has uh, been able to produce. Uh, and honestly, I think his play calling is lackadaisical. It's obvious, you know, run, run, pass, run. Uh, every single every single drive, it's just it's just been poor. And our defense this year hasn't been as good as it was the past two years, the, the those past two Super Bowl years, and so it, it's shown up in our in our inability to score and um, and and win games. And there was a stat that showed up uh, on Monday Night Football as the Seahawks have had a lead, and now it's been 57 straight games, uh, and we've been unable to to hold fourth quarter leads. Somehow, it's happened multiple times this year, you know, Carolina and the Bengals and Green Bay and and now fourth quarter lead against Arizona. It's just I, I don't know what to say besides uh it, it's gotta be something in, in our offensive coaching. Yeah, I definitely have to say that. Um let's go ahead and get down the stats for this game and then we'll go on to the Seattle Seahawks stats and then of course we'll wrap up the show. But uh, tonight, the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, 14 for 32, 240 yards, uh, one touchdown and one interception. Uh, of course, I will say this. Um, John Schneider needs to go up to Russell Wilson and say, your contract is void. That guaranteed money, you're not getting it. Russell Wilson is not playing like an $84 million man. He's playing like an $0.84 cent man. He's been, he's been inaccurate. He's just, He's not been the Russell Wilson we've seen, and – I honestly think that he's not running enough. The the Seahawks are not making him not making him run, but they're not designing up, drawing up plays that allow Wilson to escape the pocket. And as you know, we've seen the past three years, he's been magic when he's outside of the pocket. And more recently, uh, this year especially, he's been uh, confined to that that space in the pocket where you know he's five eleven and can't see as well. It's, I mean, let's be honest, he can't. It's just not, he's not tall enough. So when he's out in the pocket and the receivers are, are out in space is when he's best. And so so my thought is that he runs more. Uh, you, we run more, the Seahawks run more option plays and get Wilson out in open space more. And that's that's the key to success. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're not going to go ahead and get to the stats for the Seahawks, but let's go ahead and look at this. I mean, we've got Russell Wilson, who ran for 52 yards today. Marshawn Lynch ran for 42, a touchdown. Um, but Carson Palmer threw all over the defense today. But, I mean, I will say this. This was possibly one uh, – this was possibly Richard Sherman's worst game ever played. Um, and I'm very disappointed in Richard Sherman because he had so many opportunities to intercept a pass. And it was the one right there where Josh Brown got the – or uh, I can't remember, uh, Brown makes the catch, and he, if he would have jumped up, he would have got that interception. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and he said Sherman's been, Sherman's been bored 
quote-unquote board uh, the past two years, and now people are picking on him, and maybe it's they have more tape, but he's just, he's been lackadaisical in his defending this whole season, uh, and it, it's disappointing, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about this because let's go ahead and get off this. But I mean, the, the, the Seahawks defense. Uh, we get we come back. We get a bunch of we get a turnover, fumbles. Uh, you know, Bobby Wagner gets that touchdown, and then of course we lose it. But let's go ahead and talk about the positives of Doug Baldwin. Seven receptions, 134 yards today, one touchdown. Great game by Doug Baldwin, but terrible game by Jimmy Graham too. This was Jimmy Graham's worst game in my opinion as well. Yeah. I- to be honest with you, Jimmy Graham hasn't produced all season, though. Uh, this isn't something that we should be uh, dis- not disappointed in, but not used to, is that he he hasn't been involved in the offensive play calling. He, Especially today, he had an opportunity to catch a touchdown pass that he definitely should have caught and dropped it. Um, I can't say I'm, I'm super surprised, judging just by how he's played uh, with us this season, but it was definitely disappointing. Um, but yeah, Doug Baldwin's a great receiver. I've I've been on the Doug Baldwin hype train for the past four years now, or however, ever ever since he got on the team, I've been on the Doug Baldwin hype train. I love how creative he is when he's running routes and uh, when he's scrambling. When Wilson's scrambling, he just always seems to find a way to get open for Russell Wilson. So, uh, and today was a great uh, showcase of that. So, congratulations to Doug Baldwin. Definitely, definitely. Um, we're going to go ahead and finish up right here, but let's go ahead and talk about this. Um, this game, by far, and, I, and it takes a lot to even say this, this game was Super Bowl 42.0, by far the worst officiated NFL game I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Uh, it, it, it runs right up there. And, and it, it was from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, just calls that shouldn't have been made and and just just poor play calling, or not play calling, uh, refereeing, umpiring in general. And I, I had a feeling uh, ever since from that first call against the Seahawks, I think it was a, uh, offensive holding um, in the – it was a holding of some kind, but I just had a feeling it was not going to end well for the uh, for the Seahawks officiating wise. No, it wasn't, and I, and I was looking so many times. Um, Arizona, and I counted them all. I counted them all. Arizona had ten possible offensive holdings that were, and, and these were like like you couldn't miss them. You could not miss these calls. And the refs blatantly missed them, and so many penalties that were unavo- that were missed, evidentially cost the Seahawks as well. But I mean, first off, let's go ahead and talk about this. The Seahawks. I will say this: either John Schneider or Pete Carroll needs to tell them this. Every penalty that you get, and this is just to the offensive line, every penalty that you get, you will be fined five hundred dollars if you get a holding penalty. That's $1,000 because I'm getting sick and tired of seeing this mediocre offensive line cost us yards like this. I mean, these guys have been together for, what, like three, four years, and they still can't figure it out. You're, you're, you're spot on right there. And Tom Cable's 
for the most part, has done a great job coaching up guys who are rookies. And they, I don't know what it is this year. The Seahawks have had penalty problems in the past. That's been no, um, no surprise. But it's just, at this point, there's no excuses. There's really no excuses for how poorly, uh, how poorly they're playing uh, penalties wise. They just, they can't. If you can't stop them, then you have to do you have to do something else. You can't you can't you can't hold players as often as the Seahawks do. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, this uh, again, this by far was just possibly. The, I mean, just a terrible officiated game. I mean, the NFL. First off, needs to take a good look at their refs because this looked like the Pac-12 uh, refs. Because I mean, it, it, so many missed calls uh, cost both teams. But in the end, I will say this: uh, two missed two-point conversions cost the Seahawks. Also, in the end, and not in dumb penalties cost the Seahawks. And of course, not converting on uh, third downs that we should have converted. And of course, red zone trips. We need to we need to start scoring on red zone. No more field goals. I can't stand it. Yes, and on the on the topic of of penalties and third down conversions, I this game especially we found ourselves. I saw the Seahawks um, found themselves in long third and fifteen, third and over tens, which is in, in part due to penalties, in part due to sacks. It's just it needs to stop. It needs to stop. If the Seahawks are going to go anywhere this season, if they're going to win out, they need to stop getting sacked, letting Russell Wilson get sacked, and they need to convert and get into a convertible third down uh, situation. Yes, that is exactly it. All right, we are going to end the podcast tonight. This has been a great first uh, Seattle Sports Talk. And, of course, Chase, thanks so much for being with me tonight. And, of course, we got to give another big shout to Ryan Roland-Smith for being on the show as well. Absolutely. Thank you once again, Ryan Roland Smith. If you happen to be listening, I know I sent you out a tweet. Uh, uh, but thank you once again, and it's it's been great. And I look forward to uh, many great shows in the future. And definitely, and of course, uh, this upcoming Tuesday, you can catch me and Chase on our uh, uh, alternate podcast. Uh, also, just to let you know that there is uh, going to be explicit language. So if you you know if you don't like to hear any of that language, just you know. Don't need to tune in, but just to let you know, Nerds and Geeks podcast will be on this Tuesday at 7 o'clock. We're going to be talking Star Wars and, of course, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, uh, yeah, we're going, to, we're going to have some fun. And, of course, uh, just be warned, we are going to be, there's going to be explicit, a lot of uh, explicit language going to be dropping. Uh, it'll be just – it's a fun podcast that we're doing, but it's, it's something that we can say, hey, you know what, there's no language barrier here. But this is the one that we keep it professional – but again, we will see you on Tuesday, and I will see you on Tuesday as well, Chase. Yes, definitely. All right, so this is uh, Mike and Chase. We are saying good night, and uh, go Hawks. Go Hawks.